please stand with me at the reading of Acts 13, verses 13 through 42. Uh, This is a sermon in a synagogue from Paul. It's long, and there's lots of prophecy that is being shared, and that's part of the point. And uh, Paul's kind of unloading on the Jews all of what they have, what God has written to them. And I'm going to seek by God's help to simplify um, uh, what, what could be complicated. But I want you to pay attention as we're reading to what Paul says about what God has said. And then to what Jesus has to do with everything that God has said. Verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus As he promised before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am he? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming. The sandals of whose feet I am worthy to untie. Brothers. Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore. Lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish for. I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is the word of our Lord to us this morning. You may be seated. The context of this sermon is in verses 13 through 15, where Paul and Barnabas come into a synagogue service. It's a service like ours. Where God's word is read. So a portion from the law. And a portion from the prophets is read. And then this invitation comes to Paul and Barnabas. The rulers of the synagogue say, if you have any encouragement among us, please say it. So Paul stands up and he encourages them. And the encouragement that he gives is similar to the encouragement that we receive each week as we gather. It's an exposition. It is from the reading that is read, Paul exposing what God says. In his word. And the point of Paul's sermon is the point of our sermon this morning. And that is that Jesus is the subject of every gracious word that God has spoken. This is the priority that God has placed before us on this Sunday. That we need to believe. This is the sermon in a sentence. Jesus is the subject of every single gracious word that God has ever pronounced. Paul's sermon is a list of prophets and their promises. He sometimes summarizes their promises and he sometimes quotes the promises, but there are seven of them that I counted. The title of this sermon is you better recognize. Better recognize. That's to show you that I have hip hop blood running through my veins. I have what they call street cred. Better recognize. And that comes from verse 27, where even though the the prophets had been read every Sabbath in the synagogue, the Jews who were the only ones who heard the law and the prophets did not recognize him. That is the point. You could put it this way. You better check yourself. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop. Church, we have a sermon 
that's preached in a synagogue to religious people, to Bible-carrying churchgoers. And so it is calling you and me to treat Jesus the way God's Word demands that we treat Him. And that is to recognize that Jesus is the point of every prophecy God spoke and Jesus is the provider of every promise God has given. Seven prophets speaking with the authority of God. Seven promises offering the grace of God. That's what Paul gives to us. So that's what I'm going to give to you. Seven points. Number one, Moses's mediator. Jesus is Moses's Mediator. That's in verses 16 through 19. Paul here is summarizing the law. The law has just been read. A portion from what Moses wrote has just been read in the synagogue. And so Paul then comes in and he summarizes that in these verses. And he does this because this is the beginning of God's speech to his people. What Moses wrote in the law introduced all the promises that God was giving to his people. And, and through the law, God tells the story of how he established his people as a nation among the world and how he brought them to a special place to live with him in the land of Canaan. And then he says, after they were established in that way, they needed a king. They needed a king at that moment to protect them and to provide for them or to mediate the grace that God has promised. And and what Paul is getting at is Jesus is the one who mediates all of God's promises. He is the king who provides everything we need. And so he comes to the second prophet in verses 20 through 23. We're going to move quickly through this passage. So I want you to be looking at God's word. Paul moves on to another prophet, Samuel. And he's announcing to those who just heard the law and then the prophets read. Who do you think was Samuel's savior? Who do you think was the, 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 the savior that was promised through the books of Samuel people? What is the point of Paul standing up and then reminding them of King Saul? And then even talking about the great king of Israel, King David. I want to give you two quick things. Paul makes this clear. He wants to establish for them, first of all, what kind of king God's people need. And so he says this in verse 22. When God removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king. And then he gives this quote. From Samuel. And here he's going to explain the difference between Saul and David. I have found in David a man after my heart who will do all my will. God removed Saul and by removing Saul, he shows us what kind of king we need. You remember the moment that he removed him? It was when Saul refused to do all of God's will. He was commanded to carry out the killing of a king. And Saul said, I'm too gracious to do that. What kind of king we need, Paul is saying, is someone who doesn't selfishly take for himself 
but some who will graciously give to His people. And what is wrapped up in that is someone who keeps God's Word. A man after God's own heart is someone who will do all of God's will. In other words, his heart agrees with the heart of God. So when God gives a command, he doesn't say, I will proudly do something different because I think I'm better. That's the kind of king we need. But the other thing that Paul brings out here is is to show what exactly we need from that kind of king. Verse 23. Of this man's offspring, the one who has a a heart like God's, who does all of the will of God, uh, out of David's offspring, out of the children that would come from David, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Jesus, as He promised. As He promised. Beloved, God backs His word. We are being given lots of sources, lots of things to believe, lots of truths to consider. And and if this week has proven anything to you and to me, it's that we do not have control. But God backs his word. He has promised to bring an offspring, not from Saul, but from David, and he has done it. Therefore, if you disregard God's word, if you look for promises elsewhere, those promises will not come true and you will lose. Because God is the only one who is able to make a promise and it be a guarantee. Just look at your promises. Look at your hopes this week. All of them. All of our promises are nothing more than hopes. God makes guarantees in his word. And that's what Paul is saying. You who have been waiting for the son of David to come. He has already come. God has already, he says to the religious people gathered that day who don't know Jesus. God has already raised up the king that you need. And he has brought from David the savior that was promised by Samuel. There was this promise in 2 Samuel that David would have a son and death itself could not end his reign. That's what Paul is saying. Right after the prophets are read in the hearing of these people, Paul says, you want me to encourage them? Here's my encouragement. God has already raised him up. You're still looking for who it will be. He's already come. Number three, from points... Uh, verses 24 and 25, Paul continues to unload on the Jews all of God's word by saying that Jesus is the Baptist's superior. John the Baptist's superior that was promised is Jesus. Do you think about for a second what Acts is really firstly about? It is a letter that 
that Luke is writing to Theophilus, a, a new Christian who, who, who's a Greek. He's not a Jew. And, and what it, I think he's trying to communicate, especially to Theophilus, is you better not listen to any of the Jews whenever they talk about Jesus. This is part of his point here is, is don't listen to what the Jews say about Jesus or don't listen to really anyone who's religious who tells you about how to get right with God. You and I should not listen to anyone, no matter how much authority they have, if they don't recognize who Jesus is. And specifically from the ministry of John the Baptist, who is the last one who comes in the line of the prophets of the Old Testament. He's the last one. That's the reason why Paul brings him up. Is He is, he is the last one who is like the prophets of old. Don't listen to anyone who does not treat Jesus as if he is supreme, like John the Baptist does, who proclaims this message to all of Israel. And then he says, what? Do you suppose that I am the one that that we're looking for? That I am that savior that God promised? I am not he. I'm not worthy of him. Paul is saying. Jesus is the subject of every gracious word that God has spoken. He's doing here what 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 we know he does in, in to the church in Corinth. Remember, he said, I determined to know nothing among you. Except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I talk about is Jesus Christ. And that's what he's doing here. And he's say, basically saying when I do that, I'm doing what God does. Because everything that God has said has all been about Jesus. So if you hear the law and the prophets and you're not thinking about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus, you're going to miss everything. And so this is an opportunity, I think, as we see Paul doing what God does. And every word they speak is about Jesus. It is an opportunity for us to consider if we're like them. Paul says, you know, I I determined to know nothing among you. You know, remember how we always were talking about Jesus? What do the people in your life know that you know? What is the subject of your conversation? For God, it's always Jesus. For Paul, it's always Jesus. For John the Baptist, when everyone's starting to think much of him, he says, I am not he. Jesus should never in any of our relationships be a strange subject. And so let's image God and follow, imitate uh, Paul and and John the Baptist and, and recognize that we if we think of Jesus in superlative terms, that's what John the Baptist does. I am not worthy of him. Jesus is so far greater than me. If we think of Jesus in superlative terms, then we will talk about him as superior. And if we're not talking about Jesus as superior, perhaps the problem is we've not thought of him enough as superlative. We, in this moment, are entering into a season where people are thinking about ultimate things. Not just because we're entering into the Easter season. Everyone knows that life and death is before everyone in a new way. And beloved, remember that the only hope that God offers to any human is Jesus. 
That's what Paul says to the Jews. But because he's about to take this to the rest of the, 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 the people in Galatia, Jesus is not only the only hope that God offers to any human, he is the only hope that God offers to every human. So that's what we should be talking about. But then next, Paul gives us one more reason why we need to really evaluate our hearts and to cast off every single belittling instinct left in our life when it comes to Jesus. If we belittle him in any way, here is one really good reason not to do that anymore. Point number four, he is God's vindicator. He is God's vindicator. He is the one. You want certainty? There's a lot of uncertainty in this world. You want something you can stand on? It is this. God is committed to vindicating Jesus against every threat. Everyone who makes light of Him. God will stand behind His Son. Verse 27. The Jews have heard the prophet Isaiah. The Jews have heard what we heard earlier from Psalm 2. Notice in verse 27, they didn't understand it, but they still fulfilled it. They didn't understand it, and they still fulfilled it. This is a big God behind His word. The world is conspiring against Jesus. And this is what Paul's reviewing. The Jews, the nations are raging. The Jews and the Romans, Jews and Pilate, they carry out in their own desires and their own choices exactly what God wrote would happen. His will is being carried out in their choice to kill Jesus on a cross. They laid Him in a tomb. And then verse 30, God raised Him from the dead. Listen, this is so important. This should sober everyone who hears God's word. Listen to me. Do not listen to the Jews, but you better learn from the Jews. You do not have to acknowledge that the Bible is true in order for it to come true in your life. That is you see Paul saying this? It doesn't matter if you understand it or recognize him. You're going to fulfill what he said about you. Everything God says about humanity, I'm speaking to you. Everything God says about humanity will come true in your life. Whether you are on his side or not. You can't say that about any other truth. You can't say that about any other book. Every time we read the Bible, they've just read the Bible over and over and they didn't recognize and they didn't understand. Every time you read the Bible, listen, you can learn from the Jews in this way. You can ask, what is this saying about my rebellion against God? What is this passage saying about my refusal to trust God? In other words, you better not miss that when you read the Bible. Reading, according to verse 27, is supposed to lead to recognition. 
But not just recognition of your own sin. Recognition of the Savior God has sent for sinners. Listen, church. To Paul's sermon. Jesus has been out of the tomb. A lot longer than he was hanging on a tree. He is the Savior. But he is a lot more than the Savior. He is not dying anymore. And he is not dead anymore. Jesus is Lord. And God has made him such. God always vindicates Jesus. So listen to the rest of Psalm 2. We must kill the, or kiss the son and turn away from the way the world treats him in trying to kill him and cut his attachment away from us. He is our king and that's it. These last three points are when Paul's getting really hot here. Um, first of all, in verses 32 through 37, he says to the Jews, Jesus is David's successor. This is he's really bringing it home at this point, because across the Old Testament, you need to understand this about your Bibles across the Old Testament and all of the promises you read there, all of the promises you got to get this are they terminate in one person. All of the promises are given over in the Old Testament to David, all of them. And God's promise to David is the promise of promises. Lord of lords, king of kings, the promise of promises is the one given to David. All the hope of Israel is given to this one king, David. That's why he talks so much about David here. But then the promise to David is that he would have a son who would rule forever. And that means all of the promises. Look at verse 32. All of the promises to our fathers. Even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of them have been fulfilled. That's the good news. And it is when he fulfills his promise to David, verse 33. Okay, you following? This is important. So verse 33, whenever he quotes Psalm 2 and says, Today is the day I begotten you. What God is saying is, I gave all the promises to Jesus and all of your hope. And you don't have any hope if you don't have him. And you don't have any promises from me if you don't have him. I gave them all to him. I made him my promised son of David when I raised him from the world's plotting to kill him. Verse 34. As for the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, he spoke in this way and then he quotes Psalm 16. Or no, I'm sorry, Isaiah 55. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. In other words, the whole world. That's what they're gathered for in the synagogue. When is David going to come? Because we want the holy and sure blessings of David. Because we understand that the promise made to Moses, the promise made to Samuel, the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're all handed to the son of David. So when is the, when is the son of David going to come? And Paul says to them, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he gave to Jesus all of the sure blessings that all of God's people have been waiting for. In other words, you need a hand that's not a skeleton. And David's hand is a skeleton in the grave. 
And if you're going to be handed all the blessings of God, you're going to get it from David's son who lives forever. And so as for the fact that God raised him from the dead, he handed to a live hand all of the blessings to then hand to anyone who believes in him. And then he goes on in verse 35 and he quotes Psalm 16, the proof. He says, the proof that all of the hopes of all of God's people lay in the fact that Jesus is not being corrupted in a grave like David is. The promise of promises, Paul says, were fulfilled when Jesus was raised from the dead. All of them are handed to the one who's alive. All of the hope that God offers rests solely in the hands of Jesus. And you can't have those blessings unless he hands them to you. And so he says, point number six in verses 38 and 39. Jesus is Paul's liberator. All the prophets are focused on Jesus. Everyone that God has authorized to speak is focused on Jesus. So Paul says, the liberator of my sermon, the point is Jesus. I want to talk theology for a moment. And encourage you, church, to be careful with your eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things. It's what you believe about your life now in light of the end. And I want you to be careful with it. And for some of you, you need to be careful with over-realized eschatology. I'll explain this. You need to be careful because some people have overrealized their eschatology, which means they believe they possess all that God has promised before God has said that it will come. So they, they think right now they should have things that that God has not actually promised will come to us right now. He's so so they're taking promises for the future and saying they have them right now. It's like those people who say coronavirus can't touch me. They have overrealized eschatology. We're not to that day where God says, I will take away all the diseases. I will give you a body that can't be corrupted anymore. That's not today. So if you're a Christian, don't be thinking that coronavirus cannot touch you. You've overrealized your eschatology. There's another problem with eschatology. And that's underrealized eschatology. Which is the attitude that you don't actually possess today anything until you get to the end. And, and, and for those people, they're afraid of every single thing in this world. Every single threat in the world is a threat to anything good in my life. And, and, and your, 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 your attitude is determined by the circumstances of your life because you don't actually believe you have anything until the end. And everything's all misery. Beloved, I want you to understand that this passage is not about over-realized eschatology. This is about under-realized eschatology. This is what I mean. Verse 38. Paul stands up and says, through this man, Jesus, forgiveness 
is proclaimed. Present tense. You have it now if you are in Christ. And no one and nothing can touch that. He's quoting, he's already quoted Isaiah 55, that wonderful passage that Lee preached to us a couple weeks ago. The radical forgiveness that God offers and promised in Isaiah now has been accomplished in Jesus. Every kind of sin has been forgiven. Every kind of sinner can be forgiven by Jesus. Every amount of sin that you have ever committed, every kind of sin that you've ever committed. Christian, I'm talking to you. Your sin is forgiven. All of it is yours right now. You don't have to wait until the end to get this. That is yours. And if you are not a Christian, you can be forgiven now if you turn to Christ. You don't have to wait for forgiveness. It's yours through this man right now if you trust in him. In verse 39, he says, not just through this man is forgiveness proclaimed, but by this man freedom it comes. And it is a freedom, he says, to those who are believing in the law of Moses. It is a freedom that that law that you keep on reading, that man that you idolize will never give you. In the law, were all kinds of sacrifices, all kinds of blood being shed all the time. Every day, blood, blood, blood. So sinful, we're so sinful. And it could not give you freedom. You would always be aware of your guilt because all of that blood was only shed, Hebrews says, For sins you didn't even know you committed. Or sins you didn't mean to commit. All that blood in Moses' day could only cover unintentional sin. And Paul says, don't you be thinking Jesus' blood does that. He provides freedom that actually can perfect your conscience. He provides freedom Freedom that actually can purify your conscience so that all the sin and all the guilt is gone forever. Jesus frees sinners. He liberates us in a way that Moses never could when he freed them from slavery. Jesus is the one who actually brings us into fellowship with God where where because we're forgiven and because our guilt is gone, we can actually have a fellowship that is not broken at all. We can actually worship God and the law of Moses and the prophets. If you miss Jesus, you will never have forgiveness, freedom or fellowship with God. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has broad shoulders. On the shoulders of Jesus rests all the promises of God. Moses couldn't bear those promises. Samuel couldn't bear those promises. David could not bear those promises. Jesus can and has borne all of the promises. He has broad shoulders. It's amazing that he has shoulders. In all of our quarantine, in all of our fear, not to get an illness that for the majority of us will just make us feel bad for a few days. Social distancing, not coming near the dirty. He didn't have shoulders, but he has shoulders. Jesus went in to the dirty, 
disease-ridden, death-riddled world. And he took on flesh and he gave his body. Because otherwise we would never have forgiveness and freedom or fellowship with God. But beloved, don't ever act like you don't have freedom and forgiveness or fellowship with God because he did come and he has conquered. And so. I don't know if I'm preaching better than the way you're amening, but you're not amening all that great. Uh, I would rather you amen a little better than I preach. Um, so let me give you a little bit more. To those who are waiting for David, Paul stands up and says, David is decaying. And Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, he can distribute. He can hand to you. His sacrifice was absolutely needed, but also his survival was needed. Do you see in this in this passage, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is absolutely key. I am so grateful and I want to just give us a reminder that we are not just from Jesus kind of Christians. We're not just concerned with what comes from him to us. We don't just want to take from him. We want to be united to him. And that point is made very clearly when he quotes Isaiah 55. When he says, you got to read carefully to see these kinds of things in verse 34. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. When Isaiah said that back, back in Isaiah 55, he was promising this to anyone in Israel who inclined their ear. They would receive the blessings of David. They would receive the promises that David can bring. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is using that passage to say that God has given to Jesus all the holy and sure blessings of David. He is the only one who inclined his ear. He is the only one who came and answered God's invitation. He is the only one who can give us what God can give us. So if you are not with Jesus, you don't have anything. We're not just from Jesus. We're just going to take from you and then run away from you and not live with you. We are by Jesus kind of people, through Jesus kind of people, in Jesus kind of people. He hands to us. We receive through him. We possess everything if we are in him. What Paul is saying is if you do not have Jesus, it doesn't matter how much law and the prophets you read, you don't have any of the promises you read. He's also saying, beloved, if you do have Jesus, you have everything that God has promised. Because he is handed to Jesus in his living hand, something he can hand to anyone united by in faith to him. Jesus is the subject of every gracious word that God has spoken. And because of that. Paul ends on a dreadful note. Speaking of the consequences of everyone who does not treat Jesus the way that they should. So the seventh and final prophet and promise is Habakkuk. And it's a warning. He's saying, you better recognize. Whenever God speaks, you better be listening. And Paul is saying it it will not be enough for you just to be in the presence of God's word being spoken. He quotes Habakkuk in verse 41. He says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and die. The Lord says, I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe. Not it's so unbelievable. He's saying, 
I will do the work and you're not going to believe it. And even when they tell you it's true, you're not going to believe it. Now they go on and, and at least in this passage, we'll see what they do in the next passage, but at least in this passage, they want to hear it told again. They want to keep hearing it being told. And, 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 and maybe some of them and, or many of them that that speaks of really do start believing and following. But Habakkuk's prophecy is, is this, if you go back to Habakkuk and read this. The promises to Israel, I'm going to use your enemies to judge you. And here's the point. He said, you won't believe it. I'm going to use the Babylonians to actually judge you. You think that's crazy, but I'm going to do it. And what he's saying to the Jews right now is if you remain an enemy to Jesus, I will use your enemy to judge you. He's going to judge you. You can think he's a phony. He's going to be the one to come judge you. And God is saying to us right now, no matter how religious we are, if we remain uninterested in the superior, the supreme Jesus, he will judge us. The sermon at the synagogue, look at verse 46. We'll see this next time. The sermon at the synagogue is the final word to the Jews. You see that? This is the last thing. I'm turning to the Gentiles because you won't listen. There's a warning here to the religious who would use other means to get to God. Who would walk an aisle and that's their confidence, say a prayer. That's ultimately what they're looking back on and trusting in. Who go to church and that's they're, they're just better Christians. They read their Bibles more or or, or moralism that they, that's really what they're resting on is their comparison of their moral life compared to others. They do better. They, 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 they get better over time. That's really what they're trusting in. Their pride is what they're trusting in. That they would, would be the kind of person that God would choose. And, and Isaiah says to those kind of people, you are close to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. This is a word to religious people who right now in this season are wanting a word from the Lord about what they should do this week and how they can stay safe, but they will not listen to what he's already said and what will not change and what he's already said is about Jesus. That's what we focus on. The question that comes to them is the question that comes to us. Can you recognize the one that God is talking about? Can you understand that this is the voice of God? And will you believe when you are told, or even if you're told, are you going to go about your life and try to live some other kind of way where Jesus is in the center? Jesus is the subject of every gracious word that God has spoken, and therefore he should be the subject of every thought that we think and every prayer that we pray. We are not the subject of our lives. He is the point. You better recognize. You better recognize that coronavirus. Amen. We've had a crazy year this week. What have you done since you heard the coronavirus is coming? You think 
about you, what you've done because of that. It is just a matter of time before people we all know have it. It's just a matter of time before we get it. How has your life changed in a week? I get word that it hasn't changed much for the little boys and men of this church. They haven't touched the soap on the counter. You go into the women's restroom and it was half full. The men's was totally full. We're not changing much at all. Maybe uh, it's not changed in that direction, but you've started being really paranoid about TP um, or you're singing as you scrub or you're isolating yourself. Do that. Do that. And don't let that distract you from what is far more serious. God has put his king on his throne. He is coming. So we should forsake every Christless action in our life. We should forsake Christless religion of continuing in and looking to God's grace for something apart from Christ. Verse 43, Paul's closing comment to them is you need to continue in the grace of God. And that, given what grace he's already given them, that must mean continue in knowing Christ and knowing that Jesus is the one who can give you God's grace. You continue in the grace of God by resting on him alone. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Beloved, what causes the world to really tremble will be the coming of Christ, not coronavirus. And yet, when they tremble, we will rejoice because he brings with him all we've wanted. Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause us to continue in the grace of God, that we might, because of that, cling to your son. Lord Jesus, you have all of God's good. And if we are connected to you by your grace and through faith and trusting in you alone, we will receive all that God has given. And this world can't take any of it away. So would you make us those who are always increasing in the knowledge and the faithfulness to our Lord? And we ask this in his name. Amen.